and welcome to Let's Get Weirding. I'm Megan Sunday. And I'm Bo North. On this show, we discuss Frank Herbert's Dune series, chapter by chapter. This episode, we're going to begin by introducing the world and some of the characters and terminology. Uh, we won't get to it all today, not in the slightest, but <laughs> hopefully we'll hit enough highlights that we can get started right away. And to start off, let's address the elephant in the room and talk about how we each came to the Dune series. I'll, I'll start. Um, I came to the series because my mother, both my parents actually are big fans of this series and had the paperbacks laying around. And I remember looking at the paperbacks as a kid and being kind of freaked out by them. Uh, and then later, you know, my mom kind of put it in my hands and said, here, read this. And I did. And I loved it. So that's how I came around to it. How about you, Megan? Well, I first read Dune, just the first one, in high school. Uh, I had mm. seen the movie on, I think, HBO at, you know, 1030 at night, which is... Sure. You know. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know what's going on. But then I learned it was a book. And I thought, okay, well then, reading this book will surely explain everything that's happening in this movie. <laughs> and that's not how it worked exactly. But <laughs> I really enjoyed the book and kept reading them and have been reading them ever since. Yeah, and I won't say we became friends because of this book, but it definitely uh, brought us closer together. We we actually have a scary amount in common, mm -hmm. uh, but one of them is a um, a tendency to put Dune memes up on the internet and exchange Dune memes as a form of communication. So yeah. that's kind of how we kind of got the idea that <laughs> we should definitely try this and see yeah. how it goes. Because I I believe that all things that you love should be memed and made fun of. I don't oh, believe absolutely. in anything on a pedestal. And Dune has plenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to dig into it. Um, but speaking of digging into things, um, one of the things that reasons I wanted to get this podcast out in the world also is because there is a new adaptation coming out. Yes. Yes. So we haven't had one. We've had, you know, of course, David Lynch's is the one that everybody knows. Um, we've got the sci-fi miniseries, which yeah. has a very mixed, <laughs> mixed reactions on that one. Yeah. We get, I think it's safe to yeah. say. And um, so this new one will be uh, coming out, in a, I guess, in a year or two. And the cast is amazing. The director is great. Um, and lots going on in there. As soon as they said Oscar Isaac, anyone that knows me knows that I am <laughs> a devotee of Oscar Isaac and his work. So <laughs> I was locked in right then and there. <laughs> He'll bring the beard back. He has to. He has to. This requires a beard. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about some of the casting announcements that they've made for the new movie? So far, I've been really excited. It's it's nice to see uh, an actor listed for Paul who believably looks like a teenager. Yeah. Uh, as much as I, I do have a lot of fondness for Lynch's movie, Kyle MacLachlan does not mm -hmm. look like a teenager. Uh, <laughs> and I don't recall who the actor was in the sci-fi miniseries, but the same. That was um, Alex Newman was that, his name. Yes. Okay. Yes. He went on to be on Angel for a couple of episodes. So... That's oh. one of the reasons I remember him so well. It's like, oh, hey, that's the guy that was Paul. Yeah, I think I think of those two, uh, Children of Dune was definitely, I think, the one people remember more because... Yeah, it's that sweet, sweet early McAvoy stuff. It has James McAvoy. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the 
casting so far has been really exciting. I think I'm excited about uh, Javier Bardem. Yes. Uh, as Stilgar. Supposedly. I think a lot of these are still, you know, they're being approached. But I think we could treat it as if it's really well, set I, stone. I mean, if you look on the IMDb, like, I don't know how um, reliable it is. But, like, they have, like, they were saying, you know, Zendaya's in talks to play Cheney. And, like, IMDb immediately had her listed as playing Cheney. So yeah. It's like, I don't know how reliable IMDb is, but uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like Rebecca Ferguson, so I think she'll be interesting as Lady Jessica. I liked her in The White Queen. Oh, Batista, of course, I think will be I think that exciting. was brilliant casting. And I, I was very um, kind of on the fence about Stellan Skarsgård playing the Baron, but... I mean, because I love him so much. He's so, I don't know. It's so hard to see him play a bad guy. Yeah. But I think it'll be interesting. And I, I think he certainly he certainly knows how to eat scenery, which mm. is definitely, I think, helpful when you're playing the Baron. Because um, even if you're playing it as, as a more serious villain that I think we should say maybe the Dune, the Lynch's Dune portrays him mm-hmm. as, uh, there's still, there's a lot of speeches yeah. There's a lot of speechifying. There's a lot of gesturing. They practically made him a cartoon in the sci-fi series. Like, he's yeah. rhyming through the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Why is he speaking in couplets? Just, you know, because they have to listen to him. Right. When you're in charge, I... you can make people listen to your rhyming couplets. <laughs> It's so weird that at uh, that miniseries is just so strange. I wish I wish there was a way. I wish there was a way to really put pictures so that people could really. If you've never seen the sci-fi miniseries, it's not easy to find, but you can. I used to have it on DVD. I believe we still do. I think I think yeah. we do. Uh, but if you yeah, look it up. Just look up some of the costuming. If nothing else, look how. Look all at Reverend all those mothers are dressed. Those crazy hats and butterflies everywhere. And I don't even remember who played Duncan Idaho, which tells you how memorable that was. This is a character, by the way, that whoever they cast, I hope you like them. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you get yeah, used to Yeah, because you're going to be seeing them a lot. More on okay, that later. So, so the actor's name in the miniseries was James Watson. Yeah, the guy who played him in Children of Dune was Edward Adderton, who I knew from the Mists of Avalon miniseries. He was oh, yeah. Arthur. Uh, and then he on Alias, he was Sydney's fiance, who I think gets killed in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And then he was on Firefly once. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that was actually a really good episode of Firefly. We're starting next episode with the first book. Um, we're going to go chapter by chapter. And we'll have guests sometimes, not all the time. But for the first chunk of episodes, we will have some guests to talk it over with us but like do you want to like run down the series or what this first book is about okay i'm reading this this is from wikipedia i should say i'm not just coming up with this off the cuff i wish that i could tell you that i was (laughs) Uh, set in the distant future amidst a feudal interstellar society in which noble houses and control of individual planets owe allegiance to the padishah emperor dune tells the story of young paul atreides whose noble family accepts the stewardship of the planet Arrakis. It is an inhospitable and sparsely populated desert wasteland, but is also the only source of melange, also known as spice, a drug that enhances mental abilities. As melange is the most important and valuable substance in the universe, 
Control of Arrakis is a coveted and dangerous undertaking. The story explores the multi-layered interactions of politics, religion, ecology, technology, and human emotion as the factions of the Empire confront each other in a struggle for the control of Arrakis and its spice. The scion and heir of the Atreides family, Paul is believed to be a candidate for the Kwisatz Haderach, a messianic figure whose coming is foretold by the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood. On Arrakis, Paul and his family are betrayed by the Emperor and the former overlords of the planet House Harkonnen, and Paul seeks refuge with the Fremen, the nomadic natives of Arrakis. Paul becomes a messianic leader of the Fremen and is dubbed Maudib. I'm going to mispronounce this all the time, even though I've seen every adaptation. He is trained in the Fremen ways, including the riding of giant sandworms, whose life cycle is important to the production of melange. Paul trains the Fremen into a fighting force and leads an assault on the Emperor and the Harkonnen for control of Arrakis. The book ends with Paul's defeat of the Emperor, and upon assuming the Imperial throne himself, he expresses doubt that even he can control the Fremen or stop the coming revolution that he has unleashed on the universe. It's heavy stuff. And it doesn't sound particularly exciting. I'll be honest. If you read on, that description, it kind of sounds like the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Because we're all on talking page, about, you know, trade as, routes. Yeah. Uh, and spice, coincidentally enough. <laughs> yes. What a mm. crazy random happenstance mm. that was. <laughs> but on the page, there is a lot going on that you're not seeing. Like, there's all of this, like crazy religion there's um politics yes like on a global scale there's like mm -hmm. this occult there's uh like you said like trade negotiations happening like a lot of this happens because people want more shares of a like a conglomeration uh -huh. <laughs> like there's uh, it's there's imperial families versus corporations there yeah. are people who are basically living computers because mm -hmm. computers are not allowed right um there are religions with sort of supernatural powers mm -hmm. um people who float around because they're too heavy to walk <laughs> yeah, uh, there's people a who can spend time and space in order to travel <laughs> It's and dude. own a monopoly on space travel, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it was interesting to me, like, because I decided to read through. In the back of the book, actually, there's tons of appendices. Yes. I believe is the correct term for that. Um, there's, like, a separate short story about, like, one of the other characters. There's, like, maps and all. Like, I mean, it's just so much information in the back of this book. But reading through it. I noticed that they, like, how we have B.C. and A.D., they have, like, B.G., I believe, which is mm -hmm. before Guild and after Guild. So their time, like, their timeline is split where the Spacing Guild basically uh, establishes their monopoly on space travel. But we should probably, that's, I think that that's something that's interesting uh, with Dune in terms of putting it with other science fiction because yeah. there is no internet. There are no computers. Mm -mm. Uh, they are not allowed. Uh, they are what is considered a thinking machine, and they are forbidden. Which, yep. uh, because not necessarily, I think a lot of times people tend to kind of think about it as sort of a Terminator-esque, like, oh, the singularity, or it took over. But it's more that people could use those to control other people, mm. and that was what was forbidden. So there is no such 
thing. No one is allowed to have, there is, there's no computers, no artificial intelligence, no None. cyborgs, no robots, any of that stuff that I think we tend to assume science fiction is going to have is not present in Dune. Yeah, it's all very organic mm -hmm. um, and, and slow moving, like messages from one house to another sent by courier. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have like electronic messages, you have courier messages. Yeah. Uh, yeah, things are, are, there's a lot more emphasis on mental training, uh, people who become uh, mentats, who are sort of, again, the, the human computers, which is sort of a, a simplistic way, but that's the problem with anything in Dune, is that any description you make of it, it's like, sort of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little it, bit? And they're all conditioned to be that way. It's through, like, years and years of human mm -hmm. conditioning that they've made, like, people into you know these super genius computing machines basically and and like even the Bene Gesserit like have their own, like a higher mental sort of ability because of their years of conditioning mm -hmm. like they can alter their own body chemistry yeah on a whim. like a character uh can tell that she's pregnant basically as soon as she could tell you know like the minute that she misses her period and she knows the uh the sex of the fetus as well yeah um and yeah there's a lot of ramifications to pregnancy in this series yes. which we'll get around to trust me we're gonna get there and there's a lot of i would say i don't think it's necessarily anti-feminist uh i've seen that argument because the women tend to all be sort of either seductresses or mm. sort of oh evil manipulating ladies. yeah um but i don't think it's it's i forget where i was going with this but it's it's just they're all i think strong characters who are working within that assumption like that's mm -hmm. what people think of them like that's what people assume they're going to do so they're moving within that like yeah the the betty jesuit are setting people up as concubines and wives and in households and things and people just think oh look at her like she's she's a Bene Gesserit so she can do some stuff but overall she's just isn't she nice but it's like they're always watching they're always their abilities seem supernatural but are really just years and years of training and mm -hmm. observation and understanding tone and being able to see yeah what people are really thinking what people are feeling the tones of people's voices things like that yeah i find it interesting that the like the most one of the most powerful factions in this universe is solely women mm -hmm. and everyone else in the universe except for the fremen i'll say treats them as untrustworthy yeah basically and i feel like it's because the fremen are just more disposed towards mysticism and and things like that that they are and, and they're not quite as um patriarchal i feel like as the rest of the subsets mm -hmm. in this book like they will accept female leaders as long as they're good warriors yeah uh, we should probably explain who the penny chesert are we should sure. have started talking about them <laughs> yeah uh, again jumped in dune 
yeah. Dune just kind of throws you in as well. I mean, from page one, it's like he, he, here's here's some stuff. You'll get you'll get there. <laughs> Would you like me to explain what the glossary has as the Bene Gesserit? Yes. So the Bene Gesserit are an ancient school of mental and physical training established for female students after the but- Butlerian Jihad. I'm sure I mispronounced that terribly. But this is basically when humans revolted against thinking machines. So uh, they're an exclusive sisterhood whose members train their bodies and minds through years of physical and mental conditioning to obtain superhuman powers and abilities that can seem magical to outsiders. But they're not magical. They're also like very politically motivated. They they have a mm-hmm. lot of um, they have their great project, which is basically preserving these bloodlines of these noble houses. And overall, like their big project is trying to you know merge all of these bloodlines to get their messianic figure yeah there's a lot of uh selective breeding yeah. uh in these books there's a lot of you know maneuvering of relationships and here's who's going to marry this person and you're going to be with that person and you should have this kind of child and then that child's going to do this and they have been doing this for thousands of years um they, I mean, there's even a reference. Uh, the one character doesn't know who her parents are, and it's brought up that we didn't tell her because we might have needed her to sleep with someone who was very closely related to her, and she wouldn't want to yeah. do it if she knew that. And that's, you know, things like that, like those sorts of decisions. They're always, they're always considering in their minds what is for the greater good, mm-hmm. but it's for what's for the greater good for the Betty Jesuit. <laughs> Yeah, they're very self-serving, but they mm-hmm. want to maintain their control at all costs. And I got a mad respect for the Bene Gesserit. I yeah. don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say what you want. Call me a witch. I don't care. <laughs> they always have the best outfits in all the movies. I told you. I'm going to be honest. That's the very shallow. Lines. They yeah. have all the good lines, the good outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, they just get to swan in, be badasses, scare everybody, make everyone be like, oh, I don't trust you, you witch, and then swan back out again. It's great. Yeah, considering, because all the other groups, there are scenes where numerous represent- representatives of the big groups of the universe come together, and the Bene Gesserits are always the coolest. <laughs> like they're... No one wants yeah. to see someone from the Spice, the Spacing Guild. Come no, because, yeah, they apparently look kind of monstrous, so... Although not maybe as monstrous as they look at the movie. But I've never been sure. Like, you read the descriptions and you go, I don't know. What? Yeah. <laughs> the descriptions of the, the Guild Navigators is always kind of vague, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's one of the elements of Dune that I think people know because that's just such a... People don't know what the spice actually is, but there's so many jokes about that. And there's references on on everything, like The Simpsons mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> Venture Brothers, Family Guy. You know, everything has had some kind of like, oh, the spice or I can yeah, see I th- through time. And I think it came it, up once on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, maybe. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah. just one of those fun things that you think about that and you think you know do people know what that's from like is are people generally like if someone says may the force be with you even if you don't know anything about star wars you know that's from star wars right (laughs) but you know you see so many things that are about oh the spice must flow and it's like well gosh that's the one element that everyone knows about (laughs) 
Yeah, there's so much more to this whole, like, universe than just the spice, but it does seem to revolve around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny, considering it's basically poop, right? But that's the secret. <laughs> it's the big, it's the big, you know, plot twist of the universe. Is that you're all eating poop. And you're just, that's how everyone's getting around. It's how... <laughs> Everyone's, everyone's addiction, it costs the most of anything in the entire universe. I mean, I don't know, when you look at it, like, psychotropic mushrooms do grow on cow poop, so... Mm-hmm. And people eat those all the time, so who am I to judge, really? <laughs> An entire universe of people. <laughs> right. Who never stopped to wonder where this came from. That's right. the thing that gets me, and and I get that, you know, that's... So there are, there are great houses, which are sort of, I mean very they're you know families that run individual planets so every family Mm -hmm. has a planet that they're associated with whether or not that they are living there or what what they're doing at the moment and those uh the great houses are the lanzaran yeah yeah and those are there's a lot of you you read these and you go i can i can say that word and then you have to say the word on and a podcast like, and you go oh no wait uh oops. just wait until we get into like the guys that make like the golas like no, how do you i'm not saying that yeah <laughs> the benny <laughs> yeah is what i'm saying <clears throat> that's what i'll be saying when yeah. it comes to that uh because there are other groups like the benny jesser are the big ones uh later on we're going to get another group of women who are maybe a little cooler. Way later. That comes but way later. But that's way, way later. later. Yeah. And when we say way later, I mean, it's like thousands of years. Like, this also also yeah. all takes place in like the year 10,000, just to put it into a perspective. Yeah. It's the year 10,000, and we're all still worried about, like, who's marrying who. And yeah. <laughs> just, like, great guys. Yeah. The land's rad. Yeah. It's all of the noble houses. Yeah. Uh, so. And it's very much like, I don't know for those that like Game of Thrones, like it's very much like yeah. that. Like you know, the Baratheons have like their like holding, but they're in King's Landing. So you know, that's it's kind of like that. Like it doesn't really matter like where they are; they're associated with their home world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, if we go back far enough, and it goes back the other direction as well, so that we get references to like, Agamemnon <laughs> just yeah. years ago. Yeah, I, oh, I looked boy. at that actually because uh, House Atreides actually, mm-hmm. I, I believe he got that from uh, the Iliad. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like Agamemnon was, oh yeah, um, sons of Atreus. So there you go. Yeah, the Atreides are sort of our main characters, and they're kind of if we're going, this all changes. I think overall, I saw this, uh, I read this earlier today, it was a quote by Frank Herbert that I'm going to butcher, but the gist of it was that Dune is about uh, not relying on heroes, basically. Um, Basically, don't, don't trust, don't trust your heroes. Don't depend Mm -hmm. on heroes. Uh, I mean, that's pretty solid advice. It is in general, but particularly in Dune. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. House of Treaties are, quote unquote, the good guys as it were like they're when we start they're like the good house and everyone really likes them they're very noble uh 
and their sort of arch enemies are the Harkonnen, who are evil. Like, they're all yeah. bad. They're actually, they and they make reference to this, they're in what they call, like, a, a blood feud or a vendetta. And mm-hmm. I think they go back and actually mention what the vendetta was about, and it was, like, very, like, stupid. <laughs> I don't know, it's just a very, like, dumb and minor thing that this, like vendetta has been going on for centuries against these fam these between mm-hmm. these two families yeah and it's still to the point where when communications are sent between them you know they don't use appropriate titles to each other no it's like this is for you I'm not gonna call <laughs> you duke anything or baron anything like oh boy guys <laughs> dear vlad <laughs> yeah. i would love it i would love if that had happened sadly that does not happen. <laughs> Maybe if Lin-Manuel Miranda ever makes a musical out of this. <laughs> He'll Please. do a song. Please. <laughs> Dear Mr. Harkonnen. <laughs> I need that. Oh my gosh, the Dune musical. Let's start campaigning Lin right now. <laughs> I'm sure he has nothing else to do. Right, no. He's, he's, he's come on, he must need a new project. <laughs> like, come on, Lin. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Um, there's a lot of, of music that you occasionally get a Dune reference, and I think you could just sort of make a jukebox musical. And Actually, Grimes released an entire album that was about Dune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, I mean, this was her days before Elon Musk, so she was cool. But she had, um, like, songs like Shout Out Mapes and Gady Prime and all of these, <laughs> like, references to Dune. It was crazy. I remember, like, listen, it came up, like, randomly on Spotify, and I was listening to it, and I was just like, wait a second. Yeah. Did she just say the shout-out, ma- Mapes? Like, what is happening? <laughs> Those are always the best. It's, it's like, when you would get, like, a Led Zeppelin song with a Lord of the Rings reference, and you're like, mm-hmm. hey, I know what Mordor is. Yeah. <laughs> I know what just ring in this song. you're talking about. <laughs> this is awesome. So I'm hoping with the new movie that there will be at least... I'm all for merchandising. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get me like a Dune tea, that'd be great. That I didn't have to go on Tea Public or Redbubble and like see what yeah. someone's done. Uh, that'd be fine. I'm sure they'll find a way to, you know, muck it up. But still, yeah, I I don't know. Were there any because it's the same director and I'm gonna butcher his name, but Dennis Villanueva. Uh, did he have like any merchandising for Blade Runner? Because he did the most um, recent Blade Runner. No, but I mean, I don't also know what you would do. I think I feel yeah. like Dune, they're going to consider a little more merchandise because you can do, like, the planets. And I mean, well, like, it, they have all that and it Harry is an Potter stuff in the houses. Franchise. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I think they'll do, there'll be something. Um, that's a sort of, you know, the reality of what we live in now. <laughs> Maybe they can, we can be sorted into houses, <laughs> but only with the Dune houses. Just Funko Pops of Gurney Halleck. Uh, That's all I would need, frankly. Uh, I'm dying to see who they cast as Gurney Halleck, honestly. I want it to be a musician so bad. But also maybe, like, I don't know, a Benicio Del Toro would be great. But then no one will know if it, like, everyone will be like, wait. Is he Javier Bar? I know so many people who think they look exactly alike that it'll just what? be like, wait, yeah, I don't see it. Like. But I have heard that for people who will see a whole movie. Like a friend of mine saw Skyfall and was like, 
oh, Benicio Del Toro is so good. And I was like, that's not Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, he's not in That was Javier Bardem. (laughs) Like, oops. totally different. I think so. Well, at least say this because that director tends to use a lot of the same actors. Yeah. A lot. So maybe we'll get a Jake Gyllenhaal cameo. That would be awesome. Put Jake Gyllenhaal as Duncan Idaho. Oh, my gosh. Done. Boom. (laughs) And a giant spider as the shout out mapes. (laughs) Look, I love that movie a lot. I'm not going to apologize for my love of enemy. I know it's weird, and I know there's spiders all in it. <laughs> that was one of my best references that I made, and I felt so I was like, oh, I, I miss, I lost this in a group chat. But it was uh, my my daughter was looking at tarantulas at the pet store, and I do not like spiders at all. And I was like, that's great. I said my entire life would be the last shot of enemy forever. Just me <laughs> opening a door, going ah, as a giant spider looks at me. Spoiler for the end of Enemy. Yeah, sorry. It won't matter. <laughs> yeah, spoiler for a movie that's been out for like eight years. Also, I feel like if you go into that movie knowing that that's the ending, it's still not a spoiler because you're just going to spend the whole movie going, what? How? <laughs> yeah. They said that was the ending. <laughs> but I don't, I don't. What? Yeah, what? Yeah, that movie's great. <laughs> that's the kind of spoilers I like is when someone just gives you something and then you spend an entire movie or show going but they said those two people get to get huh okay <laughs> but they said that person died and the movie's about to end I don't understand <laughs> there's a lot of it in Dune death is a strange concept in Dune yeah yeah it, it doesn't always take I'll yeah, say that. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially for certain characters we see thousands of years in the future and i think we're really not getting into at the moment any of the the newer books which i say newer but i think they've been coming out since since the 90s at this point i think yeah i I don't think we're really gonna get into the prequels unless by some miracle this show does extremely well we may start a patreon where we get into that but (laughs) (laughs) but i know in some of the later books there's basically everyone Literally everyone and literally their mom shows back up yeah, in various forms. And there's a point where you're kind of like, okay. Mm-hmm. There's ghosts in this, aren't there? There's kind of ghosts. Kind of? Yeah. In your head? Yeah. <laughs> mind head, ghosts. Mind ghosts. That's such a hard thing oh gosh like this is the problem with dune is you're like okay here we go (laughs) (laughs) okay let me break this down for you yeah also there's mind ghosts yeah Uh, so we'll just skip we'll just gloss over that so we we talked about the atreides we have paul and leto which are our two main guys we'll see mostly but jessica is a big part of this even though she's not technically an atreides yeah because they're not married right and that's a big deal and it's kind of like she's like oh it's my choice but then you kind of see her being like well he married his wife sometimes. yeah so you know yeah. there are she is some the Duke Leto's concubine yeah so she is the lady jessica but she is not his wife and that is something that comes up a lot mm-hmm. as as Bo said like a lot <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's in a sort of Oh, you know, oh, no, we're not married kind of way. And other times it's people being like, "Mm, not married. (laughs) 
it doesn't seem to matter in a certain sense in their society. Like there's never a question about Paul being, you know, not really his illegitimate or not the heir or anything like that. Um, But even if Leto had married after Jessica had Paul, like Paul would still be the heir. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they, it's it's on a personal level. It's definitely Mm -hmm. a thing that they never got married. And their um, relationship was arranged by the Bene Gesserit. She trained with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was raised by them and trained to, uh, mar- well, be with Duke, Duke Leto mm-hmm. and have a child with him. Yeah. And we'll definitely be getting into that in the mm-hmm. next episode because I think we kind of start off and we're, we start off with Jessica and Paul in the first in in chapter one so Uh we won't get too much into it today but um so we kind of went over house atreides and then they have their rivals the house harkonnen which is led by the baron uh vladimir vlad vlad harkonnen who is sort of the embodiment of of evil he's just he wears a lot of rings i like Mm -hmm. that that's mentioned it just it tickles me that he's also just he floats he's he floats sort of he floats in the movie in the book it's more of a he's helped along yeah uh i like the he's, floating imagery just because it yeah tickles me. well he is kind of i would say like he's a living embodiment of hedonism yes or that he's like he is like hedonism bot on <laughs> futurama very much i think <laughs> was modeled after the baron harkonnen <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's like, very obese. Uh, yeah. He wears suspenders, but not like like suspension yeah. uh, devices that basically carry his body weight because he can't do it himself. Yes. Uh, he's constantly eating. There's a lot of references to him mm-hmm. calling for food or bring more food or let's have some mm-hmm. more food. Uh, yeah. And he has a lot of, he commits a lot of sexual depravity as yeah. well. Like, that's definitely uh, a big part of his character. Uh, just mm-hmm. because, yeah, like, it's the embodiment of hedonism. It's just, what are the excesses? And I'm going to do them all. Yeah. And, you know, he is pretty, um, I would say, I, I don't want to say, like, liberal in his sexual choices. But, like, it, it's pretty much just, like, anything goes, um, no matter who it hurt, harms. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot been a lot of talk, should we get into this? what we were talking about earlier, how there's been kind of some talk about like how they should handle him in the movie. And, you know, because he's kind of rep, I don't know. There's a lot of things like, Oh, well, you know, he's a villain and he's like the queer character, which I don't think that one thing is really connected to the other. I think like his villainy really comes from his indulgences mm-hmm. and not his sexual preferences. I mean, like his sexual preferences in that he is depraved and likes to hurt people. Yeah. That's no good. But like he's not a villain because he's queer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, it's definitely presented a lot in the book that. You know, there's there's a definite there's one sp- definite reference to him, you know, calling for them to bring him a slave and requesting that they drug the slave because he doesn't mm-hmm. feel like, quote, wrestling. So it's just, you know, that's definitely meant to be just this look, you know, he's such this depraved individual that mm-hmm. he just 
has people sent to him, drugged, does whatever mm-hmm. he wants to them, and then ostensibly probably they're they're killed. Yeah. Or, you know, cast out or whatever. Uh I think I think the issue with that in a movie is that I think it can be very easy to make that a you know, instead of getting into anything to make it a side like just oh it's easier it's a shortcut to it's just shortcut. show him like yeah. bring in some boys and then they could go oh well that's what that means mm-hmm. as opposed to going into any more detail um and i don't know i mean i guess i i have faith that they will find a way to show the this without it coming across as oh well, he's just this huge gay villain and it's not that black and white mm-hmm. that's yeah you know, and, and i also kind of don't think that he's portrayed as a villain because he's fat either i think this is another point that people are making like oh he's the fat queer so he's the bad guy it's just like no he's he is fat because he is you know he just does not deny himself anything he wants everything Mm -hmm. um it, it you know it's causality or um what is the word i'm looking for it's like it's not the cause it's not the symptom it's the disease or something you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I think it'll just depend. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from later things I, you know, I don't want to get too much into like future events that are in the books, but I think a lot mm-hmm. of that also comes from the fact that there's, his character sort of makes a reappearance later and his influence mm-hmm. is definitely of the, now this person is having a lot of sex with men kind mm-hmm. of way. And I think that some people read that as we'll see. It's it's so far that that's his, his influence is just that. But I I think that that's just more a matter of that person's own self being yeah. influenced by him as opposed to entirely his influence. Right. Like, it's a woman who's feeling his influence, and to I mean, as far as we know, a straight woman, and so she is just pursuing these activities and i don't think that it's necessarily because he's just driving her to have sex with men i think he's just driving her to have sex and her preference is men yeah yeah i think he's kind of like you know it, it it can be tempting like someone saying like why deny yourself pleasure and why deny yourself anything i mean you it can be easy for certain I can imagine certain personalities where the line gets blurred between like, is this something I'm doing for me because I like it? Or am I doing like, you know, am I hurting someone Mm -hmm. by doing this? And that I feel like that line kind of gets blurred for that particular character. So Mm -hmm. that's again, that's the mind ghosts. (laughs) We haven't talked about those yet. Yeah, we'll get to Uh... we'll get around to it. It'll be a while. Because I, as I was saying earlier today, this book is a lot bigger than I remembered. I've been, I have read it <laughs> several times. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was under the impression that it was a pretty small book. And I've been listening to the audiobook lately. So, of course, you really can't tell from that. But this book is relatively big. I mean, it's a good size novel. Yeah, it's 500 pages. Yeah, um, our dear Princess Irulan, she had a lot to say. Yeah, that, there's a, I mean, I mean, in all of this, there's a reason that the do, the the Lynch movie starts with someone giving a voiceover 
explanation mm-hmm. of everything that's happening. Right. Because there's a lot. And you are dropped right into the action. Yeah. And the same thing happens with the book uh, from page one. It's these are our characters. There's no we're not given a lot of explanation. Nope. And there's a lot of there's a lot of internal monologue in this book, which I think is another thing that makes it difficult to uh, adapt to film because so much is people thinking and then you have to do a voiceover or you have to put their thoughts into a conversation, which is also not particularly natural. So that's why, you know, in the movie there's a ton of voiceover mm-hmm. and I think in the book as well, you start to realize that so much isn't dialogue. It is just what people are thinking. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. And it's, it's, I think that the glossary helps, but it's, it's also not really something that you can look at until you've read the book because there are, there are spoilers in the glossary (laughs) in the character descriptions. There are spoilers about characters. So I kind of feel like it's better to read it through without the glossary. I mm. think that the glossary is just going to have you like doing too much cross-referencing. You have to just kind of let it just, you know, dive into it. Just be like, okay, I don't know what a thropter is, but I'm going to go I'm going to go with this. I'm going to assume yeah. it's like a helicopter. It is yeah. like You a can helicopter. get a lot of it out of context, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you might not know the nuances, but you know, you might not know everything about the Betty Gesserit, but as soon as they're introduced, you kind of get that it's maybe a religion, maybe mm-hmm. a society, mm-hmm. and that Paul's mother is one of them, and this other character that comes in, it also is. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, I get that. You know? Yeah. And then you find out that they're great. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pro-Betty Gesserit podcast right off the bat. I'm into it. Yeah, just... uh that's you gotta do what you have to do (laughs) and i mean their plans don't work out and that's fine too because sometimes you know people make their own decisions they're good at thinking on their feet Mm -hmm. yeah i'm really excited to get into like uh, the early sections of the book that gets into a lot of like what they do what they've been doing all this time sort of the the seeds they've kind of been planting around mm-hmm. the universe is really fascinating to me. And it's it's very much a book about about free will. You know, mm-hmm. what can be set in motion? What can you make a person do? What can a person decide to do for themselves? Like what what constitutes, you know, a person's free will? Uh, because there's a lot, there are plans that have been in motion for thousands of years that are undone because one person says, no, I'm yeah. not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, well, what decisions can you make? And that ties back to the the quote I mangled earlier, which was, you know, don't look to heroes. You know, people should make their own mistakes. They should do their own stuff. And that's really what it kind of all circles around because there's a lot of big decisions in Dune. Mm-hmm. And even a lot when of we're the- thousands of years into the future there's huge decisions being made mm-hmm. things that are are set in motion centuries and centuries before and you you see what happens and sometimes it all works out and sometimes it does not <laughs> no sometimes it goes very badly <laughs> yeah this oh, is a man. series that i've always liked in terms of science fiction where it does give you that sort of that look into the future because I do think a lot of series you don't ever find out. Like, I don't think we're ever going to find like the end of 
A Song of Ice and Fire is not going to be. And here's what happened 200 years later. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, it's not going to end that way. It's going to no. end and we're all going to be going, oh, I guarantee you that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and that happens with a lot of, of, you know, sort of epics. You very seldom, yeah. I think, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, you get that. But it doesn't happen that frequently. And even that's appendices, mostly. I, I remember one of the few, like, I've read... You know, I read Dune. I've read Lord of the Rings. I start. I did read like the first three books of Song and Ice and Fire, and I kind of pieced out on those just because I couldn't, just couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> but that's just me. No shade on you guys if you like it. That's whatever. It's very popular for a reason, I guess. Um, <laughs> not to be passive aggressive about it. Uh, <laughs> but I. Uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower series was like one of the was probably like the first like series like long like franchises mm-hmm. that I was really super invested in and I just remember getting to the end of that and being like oh <laughs> oh see I liked the ending you did I did yeah I just I really it's weird because like I've read the first four books like a million times not obviously exaggerating but and then like the last then like six and seven or five six and seven I've read a couple times and then the the last one number seven I've only read once I've never been able to like go back and read it all the way through just because I I don't know I just feel like I just can't do put myself through that again um I feel that way about the the last two of I guess like the original six dude books if we're gonna call it mm-hmm. that uh because I've read the first four several times the first one yeah. a bunch and then I don't know I, I finish God Emperor and I'm kind of just like okay <laughs> I I actually really like the the next two but it's I need to give them another chance but I does, just, at the time I read them I was like this isn't what I wanted it is really tough because there was meant to be more mm-hmm. and Frank Herbert passed away before you know he could write more so it does kind of end on this sort of you know like oh <laughs> oh dear yeah <laughs> moment and you know what the hell <laughs> um and you know we we got like i believe they tried to finish it like his son i think wrote mm-hmm. what was supposed to be like the last book but i i have never read it because i had read his prequels and was less than impressed but maybe i, I should be more open-minded a huge i'm not a huge prequel person no. for anything really i think that there's only so much that you can do with that because there's an outcome you you already know and i think mm-hmm. in some some things that's enjoyable like i've read um like romance novels out of order mm-hmm. and so you meet characters that are together in the book you're reading and then you read the book where they got together but it doesn't ruin yeah. it because you're like okay you know well, that's nice that's fine anyway mm-hmm. and i've read other books you know other series where a similar thing you know you read it and um you you, you know what the outcome is going to be but it's still enjoyable to read but i think that with prequels it's really hard uh because every every for the most part every vc andrews series has a prequel mm-hmm. and it's always you know okay yeah we know <laughs> sometimes there's a big surprise it's usually really messed up because they just thought <laughs> oh we got to make this a different you know we've got to make it a surprise <laughs> but yeah it's i don't need the backstory of every single character from dune like i'm really yeah. okay I, I guess hear I enough figured about that them. because this universe is so massive, because there's so much in this series, in this original series, that there was a lot that could be exploited 
for and I hate to use that word, but like there is a lot that can be exploited for story. I mean, there's one of the prequels I think or I guess it's a prequel is called Sandworms of Dune. And it's mm-hmm. just like, well, I wonder what's going to happen to these worms. <laughs> it's like, why was this necessary? I guess. Is it from a sandworms perspective? I would read that book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My story by Shai Halud. <laughs> totally. And you would have to have like, I'm imagining like a Will Ferrell as Orson Welles type, like the character he plays on um, the Spoils of Babylon, mm-hmm. like a oh, voiceover. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that I would enjoy. But yeah, it, when you get the backstory of just of so many. The, the, Here's the all whole these book characters. about the, the flight navigator that took the Atreides to Arrakis. Like, Why? like i already did that with the star wars expanded universe and yeah and that was great and fine and that was a good deal of my my childhood uh and young adulthood but i don't i don't need a book about leto duke leto's first wife no (laughs) that that talk about your retcons I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be scouring this one at the fine-tooth comb. Like, oh, is this mentioned <laughs> anywhere? And maybe it is. Maybe there will be, like, one-off sentence where someone's like, oh, remember his first wife? But I don't think so. Yeah. Well, we'll find out as we're reading yeah. through mm-hmm. this since well, we are first doing... Wife, uh, first wife watch. Uh... <laughs> the first wife's club of Arrakis. Yeah, like, I think... Here, I'm going to find out her name. No, I don't want Leto the second. I never no, want I'm Leto just the imagining a, a real Housewives of Dune type show. See that I would enjoy. Yeah, I would totally I would totally get into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a lot that obviously we're running out of time, but there's a lot we haven't covered and that's was always going to be the nature of the beast. There's there's just too much for us to introduce in one episode. Like I I don't really have time to get into like chome and yeah and all the factions and stuff like there's so much but we we will try to you know break it down a little bit as we go chapter by chapter but you know we want to hear from you guys about what you would like us to discuss on the show if you have like your feelings and impressions of dune like what it means to you what you know how you came around to it we would love to hear from you Mm-hmm. And uh, we Please. have a Twitter. We're at Weirding. I think it's Weirding Cast. Let me check. It's Weirding Pod. At okay. Weirding Pod. Yeah, we're at Weirding Pod. We also have an email, which is weirdingpodcast at gmail.com. So we would totally, and we have a letter already. <gasps> I put out the call for letters, and we got one. Yay. From friend of the show, Michael Rader. Um, he starts off by saying, this is really more of a comment than a question, which we'll let it slide this once, Michael. (laughs) Um, just so happy this podcast exists and I can't wait to listen. Well, we hope we live up to your expectations. Uh, I guess for the sake of discussion, I'd love to hear your dream cast for a Dune movie, including any actor living or dead at any point in their career. Oh, have fun. Sign Wadib, the rodent, not the hero. Michael. Oh, a little little mouse wrote us a letter. <laughs> well, thank you for your letter. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, man, that. 
that's really tough yeah this is a hard hard one so i here's what i propose because we'll be here all day if we have to come up with yes. a dreamcast so here's what i propose and i will put this to our guests for episode one we will each make a dreamcast for you know our like a dream adaptation you know we can even name like the perfect director the perfect so you know go as detailed as you want to get and we will we'll read them all on episode one I'm drawing the line at, at some things though. Like I'm not gonna have to also I'm not also casting like Margot Benring and like, we're yeah. drawing a line. Yeah, no, we'll just do principal <laughs> players, really. Just and, and if it was like, you know, just a bare bones adaptation of this first book. We don't have to get into Fenring and and any of the you know, we don't have to get that. We'll detail. still bring in Stellan Skarsgard and it'll be one of those yeah. Dogman movies out of <laughs> a set. <laughs> no Lars von Trier though. No, God. Oh, no. I was like, I never mind. I'm not getting on a Lars von Trier tangent because <laughs> it almost happened. I stopped myself. <laughs> Expect some rants on that front later. <laughs> so we should probably wrap up. Yes. Um, <laughs> As I said, you can reach us on Twitter, uh, Let's Get Weirding Podcast. Search for us. We're, we're there. Email us at weirdingpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know about Dune. Also, a silly idea I had, or a fun idea I had, was to... I would like to see everyone's copies of Dune because mine is very old. Mine is very old and frail and bedraggled and falling apart. So, um... I'd like to see you tweet them to us with the hashtag send dunes so we can all look at how worn yeah. out and old our copies are. Also, if you have anything with a really interesting interpretation of mm -hmm. Leto 2, because I love those. Oh, yeah. Just, and, that could just be hashtag Megan loves Leto 2. I don't yeah. know. Like, let's and we'll just... give you props on the show. Like, we'll, we'll give you a shout out for having the best yes. that we've seen, our favorite. I love that. I love that big worm. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have that big worm boy <laughs> <laughs> all right so this has been let's get weirding uh and i've been megan i've been Bo. be sure to subscribe to the show rate and review us on itunes all episodes available for download on our website, weirdingpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at WeirdingPod. Our logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit joshhollis.com to see more. Our podcast theme is by Bathhouse. Hear more of their music over at musicvine.com.